Good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church. My name is Mike Wilmer. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're visiting with us, we're so thankful that you've chosen to come and sing the praise of our Lord Jesus together with us. It's really a wonder that we can sing the things that we sing, if you, if you stop and think about it, that uh, the symbols of our faith are a bloody cross and an empty tomb, and that our God invites us to gather around them and to commune with him and one another here at church. And that's what we're going to do today, as today is a, a communion Sunday. I hope you've come with hearts prepared uh, to partake in the Lord's Supper together. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to receive our morning offering as the folks come forward. We want you to know that if you are visiting with us this morning and you're not prepared to give, that's fine. We're just so thankful that you're here. Uh, for those of us who are a member or a regular attender of First Baptist, this is our opportunity to continue our worship by giving a portion to the Lord of what he's already so graciously given to us. So I invite you to do that with cheerful hearts. And as we go to prayer, we are praying together for uh, both Gary and Janet Johns and their family on the passing of Janet's brother, Robert. We're keeping them in mind and asking the Lord to be all that they require. And then we're also praying for our youth group. We have a, a tremendous youth group with Pastor Josh, who oversees that. What a gift he is to our church. I was able to go back there Sunday night and see all that happens back there, and he does a terrific job with those kids. And so we're thankful for Josh. We're thankful for everybody who's a part of the mix. This retreat that they're on is actually a combination, I think, of, of several youth groups. So I'm fully anticipating Josh asking for a couple weeks vacation when he gets back, and, and he will gladly uh, be given that. So I want to pray for them and ask the Lord to draw uh, young people to himself through the ministry there at the mix. So as we think of all those things, let's bow together and pray. Let's all pray. Father, it is so wonderful and so glorious that we can sing of a Savior who still bears the scars of paying the price for our redemption. That we come before you this morning not to boast in our own accomplishments, not to remember how we have earned your favor, but rather to remind one another again and again that Jesus paid it all. That he was given over for our sin and raised for our justification. And so we gather around him this morning and we worship and we praise and we say thank you for all that you've done for us and for our redemption. And Father, it's our desire, our great longing to see other men and women, boys and girls, to come to a knowledge of Christ. We thank you for Pastor Josh and all the volunteers who help him back at 180. And we thank you for this retreat that they're on this weekend, the mix. And it's our prayer that as those kids get away for a while, that you would just fill them with a passion for Christ, a clear understanding of the gospel, a desire for ministry, and that you would be glorified in all that's said and done there. We pray for the John's family. Father, you, you command us to mourn with those who mourn, and so we ask for your grace to be their portion today. Help them to grieve as those who have hope in Christ that one day there is a resurrection of the dead. We pray that you would be the comfort that they need and that they require in this time. That they would know the love of their church family as we pray for them. 
And we pray that as we come before you and worship and give to you just a portion of what you've so graciously given to us, we ask that you would take and use all that we give for your glory and for the purpose of the gospel, for the expansion of the kingdom, so that one day we would be able to rejoice in the fact that the knowledge of God covers the entire earth as the water covers the seas. We pray that as we worship in the rest of our service, that you would help us to worship you by spirit and in your truth. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. the 
grace still amazes me. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, where we'll be spending our time this morning. Philippians chapter 3, if you'd like to use one of the church Bibles in the pew in front of you, I believe you'll find our reading on page 981. We'll be studying Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, all the way through verse 1 of chapter 4. And as you make your way there, I, I think it's probably helpful just to get a, a picture of where we're going to be headed in the next few weeks. We are two more weeks in the letter of Paul to the Philippians, and then we'll be finished, which will wrap us up right before all of our Easter celebrations. On March 25th, that's Palm Sunday, where there's a special treat for us here at First Baptist. A man whom I just absolutely adore, and the Lord will, will be here to preach to us. A man by the name of Newt Larson, who is the pastor of the chapel in Akron for about 30 years or so, uh, as I was growing up. Just a tremendous man, a gentleman. Uh, a man who loves Jesus and will undoubtedly point us to him in our time together. Then that following week, we'll have a Good Friday service and an Easter Sunday service. Week after that, Pastor Josh will be filling in in the pulpit for us. And then after that, uh, we'll begin about a month-long series through the Old Testament book of Ruth, which we'll be calling Death to Life. So the book of Ruth will be our next book study together. And then we'll, we'll figure it out from there. I don't plan that far out in advance, so don't think I'm too type A. Just trying to give you a little bit of a roadmap uh, for where we're going to be headed. But this morning we have Philippians chapter 3, all the way to the first verse of chapter 4. And I think just for us to have a flavor of and a sense of the context, let's start reading in chapter 3 and verse 4. And again, reading all the way through the first verse of chapter 4. This is what Paul writes. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize 
of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is God's word. Let's bow and pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who reveals himself. That as we sit with our Bibles open on our laps, we actually are interacting with your very word to us today. And we pray that as we interact with your word, that your spirit would impress it upon our hearts, that we would be able to affirm the testimony of scripture, that the Bible is a double-edged sword that pierces even to the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. We ask that you would help each and every one of us to either get into the race of the Christian life this morning or to continue on and persevere in that race by your grace. We need your help in all of this. And so we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Eric Little is known as the Flying Scotsman. Little was a, an Olympic gold medalist runner. He got the gold in the 400 meter in the 1924 Summer Olympics. But Little was also a very committed Christian. Many don't know this, but after Little's Olympic career, he went into the mission field in China to serve and to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. He'd grown up in China, his parents were missionaries there, and he returned after his athletic career. If you don't know who Eric Little is, maybe you'll know of him from the movie Chariots of Fire. It came out in the early 1980s and chronicled his life. And there's a scene in the movie Chariots of Fire that I think captures the spirit and the heart of Little unlike any other. He's having a conversation with his sister Jenny, and he's talking to her about the fact that he longs to go back to China, but not just yet. He's got some more running to do, he tells her. And you can see that her face just falls when he says that. Why would you waste your time running if God made you for missions? And his response to Jenny is classic. It's often quoted. He tells his sister, I believe that God made me for a purpose, for China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give that up would be to hold him in contempt. You were right. It's not just fun to win is to honor him. What a powerful testimony of someone who not only knows their purpose in life, 
but understands the gifts that God has given him and desires to use them for his glory. God made me a runner. He made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. What I want to convince you of this morning, what I think the Apostle Paul wants to convince all of us of this morning, is that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, God has made you a runner. You may not feel like a runner. You may not think like a runner. You may not have the physique of a runner. But if you are trusting in Jesus today, know this. God has recreated you so as to run. That's the emphasis of Paul's writing here in this portion of Philippians. He tells us very simply that you and I are to run the race of the Christian life through to the end by standing firm. We're to run the race of the Christian life through to the end by standing firm. Now, of course, we're playing on the mixed metaphors that Paul uses here in this text. If you look down, you'll notice that all throughout the end of chapter 3, verses 12 to 21, the controlling metaphor is that of movement, running, pressing on, walking, moving ahead. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, there's this abrupt shift where the metaphor stops being movement and starts being standing, immovable, fixed. As our title has it, you and I are to run in place all the way home. That's Paul's message to us this morning. Now the first thing that Paul tells us in the passage in front of us is this. Run through the tape. Run through the tape. You don't have to be an athlete to understand that image. I never ran cross country or track. But you'll understand that when someone says run through the tape, what they mean is to run with vigor and energy and passion all the way through the finish line. If you're a coach in another sport, you might tell your athletes, play through the whistle. Don't stop. Keep running. Now, having given us this amazing testimony of counting everything as rubbish in light of gaining Christ, of this intense and singular obsession of Paul to know Christ, to be found in Christ, to attain by any means possible the resurrection of the dead. Look at what Paul says in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I haven't arrived. I haven't received the resurrection from the dead. I'm not yet perfect. I'm still a work in progress. And so I press on, I run with vigor and passion for the prize for which Christ himself laid hold of me. I run. I run through the tape. Now, we have to be very careful that we don't get things twisted here right at the outset, right as at the, the starting gun, you might say. Because it's easy to view Paul's running this race with vigor and passion as an effort to somehow cross the finish line as if that weren't already guaranteed. But I want you to look carefully at the nuance of what Paul says in verse 12. 
He says, I press on to make it my own, perfection, the resurrection from the dead, the summing up of all things. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So what Paul says is that God's grace precedes his running. It enables his running, and it guarantees his finishing the race. See, back on that Damascus road, when Paul was headed to persecute Christians, and Jesus appeared to him and completely transformed his life, at Paul's conversion, by faith, what Jesus was saying to Paul is, you are mine. You no longer belong to yourself. You're mine. And at that very moment, Paul's warm-ups came off, his chains broke free, his legs began to pump, and he started running. And the goal of the race that Paul is running is this. The moment when in view of that day on the Damascus Road, Jesus said, you are mine. He's running in view of the day when he falls at the feet of his Lord and Savior, grabbing his ankles, viewing the scars on his feet, and says, Jesus, you are mine. Run. Run through the tape. How do we do that? Verse 13, Paul tells us that the way that we do this, first of all, is by maintaining mental toughness. Brothers, he says, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will also reveal that to you. Anybody who's run a distance race knows that there comes a point in time in the race when your body gives way and your mind has to take over. It's hard, it hurts, and unless you're mentally tough, you'll quit. And Paul says, the way to run this race is primarily mental, thinking. One of my big fears is that as Christian people, we often sort of dethrone the mind in place of emotion. I got this little Scottish birdie on my shoulder named Alistair Begg, who always would say, don't tell me how you feel. Tell me what you know. There's very little thought here given to how you feel. Running a race is hard. You spend yourself. You've got to be mentally tough. Look at the language of thought of the mind. I do not consider myself of having attained it. There's a mentality at play. A mentality that I haven't arrived. I'm not yet perfect. I'm a work in progress. I'm still running. I press on. Let everyone who is mature, interestingly, same word, uh, cognate form of, of perfect. Let everyone who's perfect understand that they're not yet perfect. Press on. And he describes for us exactly what this pressing on looks like. He says, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. Any good track coach, any good cross-country coach will tell you 
that perhaps your biggest enemy when you're running is this. The moment that you turn around to see who's gaining on you, or see how much ground you've covered, you're in trouble because you've taken your eyes off of the goal. You've taken your eyes off of the tape. For Paul, Paul, he says, there's no more rummaging around in what I've left back there at the starting blocks. I left all of my Jewish identity, fine. I've left all of my efforts at self-righteousness, fine. I'll tell you one thing, I'm not looking back at it as a means to earn favor with God. Christian, as you run this race that God has put before us, this marathon, you and I have to have selective amnesia. For some of us, we're constantly looking in the rearview mirror at past achievements. You know, I did really well spiritually in my 30s. My 40s were a bit rough, but my 30s, they were great. Well, that's fine, but you're now 50, right? For far more of us, what we tend to do is we look in the rearview mirror at mistakes that we've made. So instead of saying, oh, I ran that mile really quickly, go, man, I fell on my face on that lap, how am I ever going to finish? And we've bought the lie that somehow or another we need to continuously be re returning back to our past in an effort to, quote, forgive ourselves. Brothers and sisters, you've never sinned against yourself. You don't need to forgive yourself. What you need is to remember that Christ has forgiven you of that sin at that moment. You need to get up and run. There's no turning around. Paul says, I press on by forgetting what I've left behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. It's the picture of a runner leaning in through the tape, reaching through the tape. We watch a lot of Pixar movies at home, so forgive me, but it reminds me of Lightning McQueen in cars sticking out his tongue to get through the tape, whatever it takes. Run through the tape. We do that by remaining mentally tough. But we also do that by having good running partners. It's the theme of partnership in the gospel once again. Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those whose walk, or who walk according to the example you have in us. If you are going to run this race with endurance and with passion and with zeal, it is absolutely indispensable that you have running partners. Without examples to follow, you and I will give up the race every single time. So Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me. Now, this isn't arrogance. This isn't Paul trying to, you know, pad his stats or increase his Instagram followers. This is Paul in the spirit of 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, saying, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul says, if you want to run this race, you have to have good running partners. Keep your eyes peeled for them, he says. Look out for them. They're all over this church. Seasoned saints who refuse to quit. Man, there's no greater gift in my mind 
people who are right on the edge of, of finishing the race, but going, oh, I'm still running. Look out for them. Follow them. Emulate them. And the reason that Paul is so determined to tell us about these positive examples is that the world and the church even is filled with negative examples. Do you see what he says? He says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Why? Verse 18, for many, not a couple, not a few, many, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, we don't know who exactly Paul's talking about, but this is what we do know. We know that the scathing criticism of false teachers in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 3 has faded into the background of Paul's passionate tears over these folks who are now called enemies of the cross of Christ. These are men and women who've made a good start but aren't going to finish the race. These are people who were very excited about running after Jesus until they realized what running after Jesus really entails. Self-denial. Suffering in many cases. A gospel focus that keeps the cross at the center. And so they're entirely off the course. I'm a documentary nerd. I can't get enough of them. I just recently watched this documentary called The Barkley Marathons. The Barkley Marathons, is, it's this foot race that takes place in the hills or in the woods of Tennessee. And it's a 100-mile race. It's five. It, it's disputable. They're very eccentric here at, at the Barkley Marathons. It's either 20-mile or 26-mile laps. There are five of them. It's only $1.60 to enter. Very few people finish. And the challenge begins the moment you arrive because they hand you one master map and they go figure it out. The course isn't marked. You got one shot. And if you get it wrong and you get off course, you're disqualified, race over. And there's a pointed effort by those who begin the race to make sure not only that they have the course set before them correctly, but that the people that they're following also have the course set out before them correctly. Because the moment you get off, you're not going to get back on. Also, they made a good start. But I wouldn't use them as your running partners. You can see it in their lifestyle, if not in their words. Their God, he says, is their belly. Some of us show that more than others. But the idea here is that they're completely consumed with earthly passion. They glory in their shame. The things that they should be ashamed of, they boast in. And the capstone of this criticism is that their minds are set on earthly things. When all the while, the goal of the race is heavenly things. It's Christ. We've got no time for that. They're worried about the next steak dinner. Paul says, but our citizenship our goal, our reward is in heaven. 
And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious, His resurrection body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. You know what's wonderful about this race? This marathon that you and I call the Christian life? Again, if you've ever tried to run any sort of distance, you'll know it's uncomfortable. It hurts. Joints start to ache. Lungs start to burn. Legs get a little wobbly. But at the end of this race, all of the suffering that we've endured, all of the pain that we've tolerated, all of the sickness and the sadness and the death fades away in an instant. Because Jesus the one who sits in heaven, currently glorified, resurrected, to live eternally, bodily, will come back. He'll bind up every wound, completely transform our bodies to be like his. Say, well done, good and faithful servant. That was a race well run. Run through the tape takes mental toughness. It takes positive running partners. And, Paul goes on to say, chapter 4, verse 1, that it requires this. Don't move an inch. Don't you love that? Run. Don't stop. Don't look behind you. Keep moving. But don't move. Therefore, in light of all of this, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. Run in place. Do not move. Everything in your life and mine mitigates against just simply standing firm. But that's the Christian life. The Christian life is, these promises are for me. This gospel is true. My God is faithful. And you can do your worst, but I will not give up one inch of ground. Because my God has not failed me yet, and he will not fail me moving forward. And all my running... I'm just going to stand. The greats, the juggernauts of the Christian faith, the men and women that we ought to look to as examples along the way, the real running partners, have always understood this. In the words of John Newton, once again, the man, the myth, the legend, I am not what I ought to be, he said. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but still I am not what I once used to be, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. Does that sound like a guy who's running? Running in place all the way home? Martin Luther comes before the church council, recants, your views are harmful. 
We can't be just telling people that God accepts sinners freely by grace. Luther digs in. What does he say? God help me. Here I stand. I can do no other. His namesake, Martin Luther King Jr., you throw me in prison. You do your worst. But I'm standing right here knowing that everyone's created in the image of God and you're not going to move me at all. Stand firm. Are you running in place? This is why we never move beyond the gospel. We never graduate from the gospel. We never grow up from the gospel. We just keep running. Legs pumping, feet digging in, through all the sweat, through all the suffering. Because we know there's this upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's this wonderful goal, this wonderful prize. It's Jesus himself. You know, at the end of Paul's life, as he writes to Timothy, he's able to reflect upon all that he's experienced and say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. His race has ended. Ours hasn't. First B, let's keep running. Here's the great news. We freely admit the race is tough. There's no use in denying that. Again, I say to you, if anyone has ever told you that the race of the Christian life is easy, they have not loved you, they've lied to you. It's tough. But God in his amazing grace has given us his word to keep us on the path. He's given us his spirit to enable our running. And this morning, he gives us his table so as to remind us of all that he's done. You know what Jesus says to his disciples as he institutes the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26? He says, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine until I drink it anew with you on that day. Luther said there are only two days that matter, today and that day. Some of us are prevented from running because of yesterday. Some of us are prevented from running because of tomorrow. Two days, fam. Today and that day. Run through the tape. Don't move an inch. Run in place all the way home. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we look back, many of us, on our lives and we remember that moment when our chains were gone and our hearts were set free and it became our sole desire and passion to just run hard after Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are our prize, you are our goal, you are our greatest treasure. Yet we confess that sometime yesterday gets in the way of our vision of that day. It causes us to stumble, it causes us to 
to sort of fix and obsess on what has happened before. We pray that by your grace, you would enable us to get up and to run. It's your grace that put us in the race in the first place. Your grace enables it all the way through. And your grace guarantees that day when we'll be given the victor's crown. So help us to run with confidence in all of that. But all the while, we pray that you'll help us to stand firm. Not to move away in any way from the gospel. To keep our minds set on heavenly things. To look up and long and wait for our Savior who will come one day to transform us fully and finally. To give us bodies fit for your eternal presence in a new heaven and a new earth. Thank you for one another. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And we thank you for your table. It reminds us not only of how we started the race, but where we're headed. Fill our minds and our hearts with a passion for Jesus, we pray. In his name.